Hello, Classic Crew, and welcome to Classically Ever After, the Classically Abbey podcast with Jacob and Abby Roth. Three times a month, we will discuss the ins and outs of marriage and relationships, parenthood, classic living, and navigating the modern era while maintaining traditional values. From philosophy to practical advice, you'll find out what we really think. And welcome back to another episode of Classically Ever After. Today, we're going to talk about some tips we have on how to lead a more classic life by forgetting what you think you know. Yeah, it's an interesting episode because Jacob actually came to me and said, I want to do an episode where we talk about tips on how to live a classic life. And then as he started kind of listing off the things he was interested in discussing, it became clear everything he said started with the phrase, forget what you think you know. Yes, uh, unwittingly, I ended up with a gimmick. And I thought, hey, that's an actually a very interesting concept. I'm interested in discussing that. Yes. So before we get into that, we have to get into the week's highlights and antonyms. Yes. And of course, you have to stay tuned till the end of today's episode to hear our tip of the week. So make sure to stay tuned. But let's start off with our antonym. So our antonym this week is going to be engagingly earnest versus irritatingly ironic. Yes. And that's because we were watching some things this last week that really struck us by how outside of the self-consciousness of irony they were. And that's a weird sentence to say. So I'm just going to jump right into my entry for the week, which is that we watched the movie RRR. It's apparently a smash hit going around the globe. It's a Hindi Bollywood movie. On Netflix, at least that's where we watched it, three hours because a Bollywood movie, (laughs) and it was absolutely ridiculous. Over the top, saccharine, fun, loving, uh, ridiculous, (laughs) anti-British, a lot of things going on all at once. But what struck us as we watched it is that this movie loved its tropes, its conventions. It was very obvious with a lot of the plot points it was doing, and when it was silly... It was silly while taking itself seriously at the same time. It wasn't done as if it was at all worried of being snarked at or jeered by jaded hipsters who say, oh, I've seen that before. How could you do something so ridiculous or hokey? There was it was as if the people who made this had no concept of hokiness. Yeah, exactly. Which is probably correct because it's Bollywood and they don't have the same film culture that we've developed where everything now is deconstructed. Everyone's seen everything. I was literally about to say that. So mine is we share this one. We're sharing our as our as our engagingly earnest version of the antonym right now. And the thing I want to say is you use the right word trope. And we all in America, we everything you see now, every movie you watch, it's like they have to undermine the tropes because they don't want to be seen as cliche derivative. or as derivative. And everything is so meta and boring. It's like, God, I can't watch a movie that's just a movie. Every movie is a comment on everything else. Everyone's so afraid of being judged as outdated or hokey or uncool that nothing can be built on it because deconstruction like all critical approaches to everything, like all cynicism, cynicism, like all jadedness, it's all purely negative. It's Mm -hmm. dissolving, right? And ideally, if you're a little bit jaded about overused tropes, 
you would then dissolve them a bit to make something new, right? This Mm -hmm. is what Clint Eastwood did with some of his movies, like Unforgiven or like Gran Torino, where Clint Eastwood was one of the guys who helped establish the Western genre, but then he made some Western movies that were darker. They played with your expectations. They presented the idea of, well, if this guy's so great with a gun and such a dark, mysterious past and he's so cool, what does a guy like that look like in his 60s? What is his life when he's Mm -hmm. now retired? Oh, it'd be miserable and awful. Turns out the Macho Man image is not that cool in this context. That's genuinely interesting and introduced new folds and elements to the genre of Western. But that's not what we have anymore. Mm-mm. Instead, everything is either derivative while being snarky and too cool for school, so it's all very boring, or it's just snarky and not even uh, trying to do anything. Right. So we end up with nothing. And Hollywood does not have time, not Hollywood, Bollywood does not have time for any of that. So RRR is ridiculous. The main leads are the best of friends. And there's no sideways glance about, oh, could they be gay because they're so close as men? Nope, just two bros who absolutely adore each other. And also they have their women. And also they have a great time being bros, which is refreshing to see because everything now is made sexual. Yes. So you cannot have any characters who are just friends without having some supposed sexual under Bollywood ain't got time for that. Yeah, I loved the movie because I'd never seen a Bollywood film before. And it's so refreshing to see people take seriously what we think of as tropes and as cliche. It's just, it's lovely. And it's sort of kind it's like very endearing. It's very endearing to watch. I mean, you watch these characters um, be put in situations that are ridiculous and everybody takes it seriously. And that's the story. There's not going to be a wink at the audience like, ha ha, aren't we crazy? This is just too ridiculous to even make a movie about, but we're doing it. It's, no, we're making a movie about this. Take it or leave it, but that's what we're doing. With regard to the ridiculousness of the movie, Abigail and I made the joke that this was like a superhero movie where the two main lead superhero is just that they're absolute alpha males. Yes. They're guys who can literally punch tigers in the face They can throw motorcycles. They can fight crowds of a thousand people just because they're such studs. Yes. And that's it. And it's hilarious. But again, it's done where it acknowledges how silly it is a little bit, but it doesn't spend time on making it a cartoon. No, because these guys actually have dramatic underlying currents, their relationships and what they're trying to achieve. They have actual stories. At the same time, they're basically superheroes. And that's just the way it is. it's great. It's so much fun. Actually, I want to just finish this off by saying I recommend it. I think that it's a lot of fun. We watched it over the course of three nights because we could watch about an hour each night. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just a lot of fun to watch. If you have Netflix, you can watch it. Yeah, highly recommend. Oh, and just a little bit of background on the movie. It is a movie about two absolute alpha male studs, each in their own way, trying to resist the British in 1920s India. And they go about it different ways, and they end up in conflict, and they end up loving each other. And it's just a very interesting, fun movie. Absolutely. Okay, so what do you have in mind for irritatingly ironic? Irritatingly ironic, which is a fun juxtaposition to this, my entry is Selena Gomez's acting in uh, Only Murders in the Building. I was going to say the same thing, so now I have Aha. to try and think of something different. Indeed or maybe I'll just agree with you. And <laughs> well, Then this would be a rather succinct antonyms, but yeah. so be it. I, when we came up with the premise. We pretty much had those two exact entries in mind anyway. <laughs> Selena Gomez cannot act. Oh she my God, she's so a nightmare. cannot act. So we're trying to watch the first 
I guess we're on the third episode of this comedy mystery comedy show. Comedy mystery show, I would yeah. say, yeah. Only Murders in the Building, starring Steve Martin and Martin Short, and for some reason, Selena Gomez. Oh, it God. takes place in a Manhattan apartment building mm-hmm. where a murder has taken place, and these three people, played by the aforementioned actors, are trying to solve the mystery of this murder, which has been written off as a suicide, but they are all true crime podcast bingers. Right. And so they are going about things with all the tropes in mind of true crime. Mm-hmm. And they're, so they're second guessing everything. They assume there must be some mystery underlying it all. But they also are suspicious of each other because they themselves, they don't know each other really prior to this. Yeah. They are each in their own way mysterious or holding back. So, okay, seems like an interesting premise, but it is intolerable to see Selena oh Gomez act. Her Awful. character is some millennial, gormless, ironic, deadpan, snarky waste of space who pretends like she's better than the two other main weeds, Martin Short's character and Steve Martin's, but she offers nothing, and it's this grating thing. It's this annoying trope now in TV shows, even though they think they're undermining the trope, but they're actually continuing it. The idea that if there are two white males... The one woman who's involved must be smarter than they are, and they're just so stupid. This is in so many movies now and in so many TV shows. Honestly, we could do a whole thing about this in AV Club. It's so boring. It's like, why can't we just view people as people instead of looking at the gender as a stereotype? Yes. Oh, God. There's a very annoying line where uh, she walks into a room at one point, and the two other leads are expressing their shock or horror about something. She says, oh... I thought old white men were only afraid of, uh, what is it, like constipation, societal change? Yes. And this is, it's always a character who offers nothing, is themselves just a slacker, useless piece of garbage. But they're also presented as if better and superior to the other, which is just so annoying, this holier-than-thou, there's an acronym I learned recently, awful, affluent, white, liberal woman. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Just an awful woman yes. in that sense and yes yeah, Selena Gomez isn't white but it's it's always the same kind of self-insert character of someone who's an insufferable yes. urban woman but yeah her performance is so awful it is really irritatingly ironic if you uh, look online I did google Selena Gomez bad acting <laughs> and that was all I entered there was a reddit entry for the tv series and it was fans of the show commiserating with one another about how distracting her terrible acting was. Some people trying to cope with it in the comments were saying, oh, well, that's just her character. She's snarky or she's sarcastic. Snarky and sarcastic are not a personality. Her character has no personality. There's no wit. There's no playfulness. No, it's just a bitter, misanthropic, deadpan, emotionless False reactivity. Honestly. Unlikable. I was going to say, honestly, Aubrey Plaza is an example of somebody playing a sarcastic character. Well. And she does a very good job with it. So now we can move on to our highlight of the week because we accidentally agreed on our antonyms. That was not planned, but it happened. Well, there there were only two things that we would have thought of this week for this uh, antonym. I guess that's When I said uh, engagingly earnest. We both thought RRR because that's the only thing that would have come up and yeah. irritatingly ironic. Again, the only thing that would have come up. So that's a little bit on me. Not <laughs> so, enough grist for the mill. I guess that's true. So do you want to start with your highlight of the week or shall I? I'll uh, start. Okay, go ahead. I'm going to start. <laughs> so Mr. Baby has been waking up 
too early because we've been putting him to bed too late. I know that sounds confusing, but actually when you put a baby to bed too late, often it messes with their sleep schedule and they wake up earlier than they're supposed to. So he's been waking up about 5.45. And this morning when he woke up, I got up with him and we had the best time. It was it was a time for us to just really focus in on each other. I mean, he's a baby, so what else has he got to do? But for me, and I didn't feel the pressure to get anything done because it was so early in the morning that I wasn't going to be doing anything anyway besides sleeping. So I just hung out with him for an hour and a half and we played. And I was so proud of him because he's starting to sit on his own without support. And it was it was just really special. And it reminded me that even though those annoying early wake-ups or when you have a newborn, those often nighttime feedings are exhausting, they're also unique and special. Those are times you're not going to have when your kids get older. And um, I just really valued it this day today. It was just really nice. So that's my highlight of the week. What's your highlight sweet. of the week? My highlight of the week is finding out from you when you weighed him that he is in the 48th percentile Wait. Yes. If you have seen Abigail's previous content on this, when Mr. Baby was about a month old, we took him in for his checkup and he was only in the 14th percentile of weight. He'd been born at the 23rd percentile. So he had slid down nine percentage points. And that was alarming. Uh, there was talk of the idea that he had failure to thrive, all bad things. And this is because, as we've been over so many times, there's the reflux issue. And he could not keep his food down. It was painful for him to eat. Terrible stuff. We followed up with another appointment later in that same week. And he had slid down to the ninth percentile. Again, super alarming. Even more so. Now you're sub 10th percentile. And he had started at the 23rd. Terrible. Abigail put in a tremendous amount of work with the lactation consultant, with the doctors, Working really tirelessly to figure out positioning, timing, holding the baby afterwards, use this item, use that item to make sure that she could breastfeed him and so that we could avoid putting him on formula because we wanted him to be breastfed. We wanted to make sure that we could workshop it and get it done. And Abigail devoted herself to it and she managed to succeed. He started to eat well. Then later on, we were able to get the acid reflux medication prescription, which was Absolutely game-changing. Didn't stop him from spitting up, but it made it so that he could comfortably eat, which was huge. And it really did take the doctors way too long, like too many visits of, oh, he's still losing weight. Oh, (laughs) he's still losing weight. Oh, wow. Three weeks in a row. I guess we should wait one more. Why? No side effects. No issues so far. Give the baby the damn medicine. Yeah, it drives me crazy with that. But in any case. Now, for him to be at the 48th percentile, he's not just staying on a growth curve. He is moving them he's going up he will have gone from smaller than 91 percent of babies to soon hopefully if he crosses the 51st percentile of weight being larger than most babies (laughs) which as his dad and proud of him makes me so happy so that is the highlight of the week for me is finding out that mr baby is in the 40th percentile of weight yeah it's crazy he's gonna be a monster i'm so proud of him too and he It's just wonderful to see because it was really scary at the beginning. And it's so funny because everyone still gets a lot of people besides the two of us are still shocked to see him spit up. And both of us are kind of like, I don't care if he spits up. He's gaining weight. It doesn't hurt him. He's fine. He's happy. So eh, we have a little bit more laundry to do. Whatever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So now let's get into the main portion of today's episode. 
So today we're going to be talking about tips to make a uh, classic life accessible, but the things that you have to forget in order to do that. Yeah. Uh, you said it a little bit more succinctly at the beginning, but that's kind of what we're, we're going with right now. Does mm -hmm. that work? <laughs> yeah. So if I may start off, what the first thing that occurred to me is forgetting what you think you know about dating. Mm -hmm. Now, Abigail has had a lot of this content on her channel, but not so much content of my thoughts on this and go figure we overlap. But one thing that strikes me right off the bat that I see people make as a massive mistake in their approach to dating. And I see this more from the guy's point of view. Which is great. It's yeah. nice for as a woman to hear a man's point of view on this. Comments from guys I know, comments where men hang out, you know, uh, videos that guys watch, forums, things like that. There is this lament about not knowing how to find a nice girl or, uh, you know, they won't notice me, anything like that. Just the normal belly aching of guys. And the first thing that strikes me is that there's this romantic fixation. And that, that sounds weird. Oh, what? You're not going to be fixated on romance? No, not in the way that the meme has been portrayed. Mm -hmm. As much as you might make the criticism of women that they are obsessed with a fairy tale romance and then that they forget the happily ever after component and what that looks like, mm -hmm. guys do the same thing. Yeah. I want a pretty girl who shares my interests and it'll be fun and we'll have a fun time. <laughs> and that's it. Right. And there's no thought. And it's honestly, it's a neutral consideration. This isn't male or female. Everyone should yeah. be thinking about this for what is the life you're going to build for that person. You are finding a partner. You're not finding a fun buddy or an adventure buddy or something like Ugh. that. You're not looking for a, friend, a drinking buddy to yeah. go out and have a good time with. You're looking for a partner in all that matters to do in life. And the shallow consideration of mere enjoyment Right. I'm looking for a person who will match my current interests and enjoy them with me so that we can have recreational time together as basically your main consideration alongside appearance is ridiculous. Yeah, it's something we talk about a lot is the mistake people make of thinking compatibility means compatible with similar interests as yes. opposed to compatibility Hobbies. at those really deep traditional value levels that make a marriage. And so people will kind of eschew the values if the person is somebody that they like to watch movies with or wants to travel the world and eh, the values come secondary, which is obviously completely incorrect. Compatibility is so much more about the values you share and the life you're going to build together. Yeah. I'm thinking now of friends like, well, I'm outdoorsy, so I'm looking for a girl who's outdoorsy. And, you know, I like this kind of art. So I want a girl I can go to a museum with. Right. Or I want a girl who will do this with me. It's like you're describing a series of friendly interactions. Have you two discussed how many children you're going to have? Have you discussed whether or not you can actually converse with one another and challenge one another to morally and character-wise develop in the way that you should? Or are too many conversations off limits with each other? Oh, well, you know. I can't talk to her about religion yeah. because she has her own past experiences with that. But we get along so well. We love the same TV shows. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> it's, Are it's... you kidding me? Or um, another one would be, oh, well, you know, we can't talk about our timing in terms of should we both really pursue uh, certain professional degrees or education or career things? Because where would we have the opportunity to have children and how many children we would have? We haven't really been on the same page about that. We haven't set our plans up with each other. But, you know, we both really like hikes. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's just absolutely ridiculous, this notion that the stuff you could do with a friend 
is the thing that determines whether or not this person is the right one to be with for the actual setup of the rest of your life in the most significant possible ways to build a family. You need to be looking not for a fun buddy, but for someone who you are attracted to, you do enjoy, you do have a good time with, but who is your partner in what matters. When obstacles arise, will they help you handle them? Do they have your back? Will they challenge you when you're wrong or when you're lacking from a position of love to develop you into who you should be? And are they open to you doing the same? Also, are you willing and able to do that for them too? Will you make each other who you should be? This is the most intimate possible relationship you'll ever have, obviously. But have you considered what that intimacy actually means and is for? No. Instead, you're just trying to find a romantic partner to fill a void of friendship activities that you could outsource to your boys. It t- I mean, this really overlaps with what I've talked about here on my Substack and even on my channel about chemistry and compatibility and how people will often go with the chemistry person, confusing it for compatibility, it seems, mm-hmm. after this conversation, without realizing that you can't have a long-lasting relationship unless you have both those things with the deep compatibility, not that surface-level compatibility. Um, I also think that it's all of this stuff comes from the movies we watch as kids, mm-hmm. comes from the way people talk about the way that they fell in love and how it happened all at once, head over heels. I mean, that stuff that you hear about falling in love at first sight, that's not love. That's not anything lasting because you don't know anything about what that person actually wants or needs or is going to do with their life. You know that you're attracted to them. You know that you maybe enjoy their company if you've talked to them. None of that is relevant beyond date two. You need to know what is going to be going on in your relationship in the long term. And that stuff that you're kind of hearing about romance, it's all the stuff that happens before the wedding. Every happy movie that you see, every romantic movie you see, romantic comedy, ends with the wedding. You don't see how they're... Or the commitment to one another. Or the commitment to one another. Or whatever it is. I mean, the Shakespearean... Now, now we can't take for granted that a wedding would be involved because, oh, that's passe. Right, of course. But the Shakespearean trope is that comedies end in a marriage and weddings end in a... Fu- um, and dramas. dramas end in a funeral. Um, so the idea that when you watch a movie, the ending of the movie is really where their life begins... So we don't get to see how they manage any of that because they're probably not going to do very well, given that in many of these romantic comedies, they share nothing in common except that they both maybe hate each other, which turns into love, which really doesn't work out very often. Um, it's it's not giving you any lessons about what marriage is about, what relationships are built on. Yeah, it is an issue of the happily ever after being the most relevant and necessary part to be prepared for also being the most glossed over what what is the length of time in which any of these romantic stories occurs six months a few weeks maybe a year okay that's the entire 300 pages of the novel or the 90 minutes of the screen time the happily ever after which is the next 50 to 70 years of your life (laughs) that's given one sentence and they lived happily ever exactly. after. It's an absolutely ridiculous notion. So you should be dating in anticipation of what your ever after looks like. And this isn't to say that people who date in this flippant manner don't end up getting married, but they end up sleepwalking into it. Mm-hmm. I have known people who sleepwalk into marriage. They are dating, then they move in together, 
And they don't really talk about these things because you can't talk about deep things if this is your approach. Mm-hmm. Because, oh, I, I don't want to rock the boat. Or, oh, that's that's too deep. That's, that's too closely held. We have a good time. I don't want to harsh our good time. And then, well, if you're living together, if you're approaching things this way, you're very likely sleeping together. Mm-hmm. Congrats. You were very likely to get pregnant at one point. And you either have an abortion, murder your child because you didn't think about this and you didn't want to be concerned with it and you can't handle the stress or, well, we don't want a child when we're unmarried and we're not sure what we want, all which are terrible reasons to take your own child's life as if there even were a good reason to do so. Or you end up getting married and you shotgun wedding yourself to someone who you have no idea how you're going to raise that child with. None of this makes sense. All this is terribly modern and ineffectual. Instead, when you date, date with the notion of a partnership in mind. And also at the same time, there's a lot of character work that goes into being Mr. Right for Mm -hmm. Mrs. Right. But don't let that be something that means that you don't date. I've also known too many guys who are too pensive and too insecure. And so they find an excuse not to go out and attempt to date because they think too low of themselves. Oh, well, you know, when I develop myself more, I can go out and date. You develop yourself in the context of what another person inspires in you and helps you work on. Unless you are really a raving lunatic or completely broken, I mean completely broken, you're going to learn on the job. It's the mentality to do so that matters. You should still be going out there to try and find the right person. This insecurity is not charming or virtuous. It's just you finding an excuse not to do and not to live, which is not a virtue. Go out there and get it done. Meet someone, be meeting people, and develop yourself in a relationship. Agreed. Totally agree with that. So let's move on to number two. All right. Which is forget what you know about success and achievement. Yes, which has been a big theme for Abigail recently. Yeah, I mean, I'm just recording a video on it. It's coming out soon, but (laughs) I don't know if it's actually coming out before or after this podcast. So you'll just have to keep your eyes peeled. Mm -hmm. But as far as forgetting what you know about success and achievement, we talked about this in our book club last week, the idea of fulfilling your potential and how fulfilling your potential in today's modern era, it feels like the only way to do that is through career, which is completely incorrect. Because otherwise you would just be a stay-at-home mom. You'd just be a mom. You'd just be a wife. As if when you look at people and you look at children, and you look at families these days, everyone can do that so well that you take for granted that, well, it's a basic skill. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot that goes into our perception of what success and achievement looks like. It's something that can be defined by the wealth that you accrue and that bit who has the biggest house and who has the nicest car. And at the end of the day, a marriage that is successful, a family that has happy children that are not just happy, but well-behaved and are well-learned a family that maybe has one less car and one smaller house, that is a success and achievement I think we don't value enough. And it's much more important to have a family that is (laughs) well-developed than it is to have a career, especially for women in this girl boss era. Uh, I think that, of, of course, I don't think that men should be pursuing careers that that put their career ahead of family. But I think that men have more of a responsibility to provide for the family. And so if that means that they are working harder, that's good. But doing it just for the prestige of fulfilling their potential, that's not good. Yeah. 
Well, the essential question here is, are men working out of the home because men can do it and women can't? Or are men working out of the home because at home is where women can do things men cannot? And so men have a value to the family by doing the other thing that mom's not needed for. Yeah. That's the essential question here. The question is, is always, what is it for? Yeah, what is it for? But not even just what is it for. Who can do it? Well, mom can take care of the children in a way that dad cannot. And taking care of the children in the family is the highest priority. So, of course, you put your top gal on that top right. job so she can do an absolutely fantastic job. Because why would you skimp on the motherhood and nurturing of your children? And then dad is left to go earn money to fund this entire endeavor and still be home to be around to be dad mm -hmm. to the kids. That's a wonderful distribution of labor because it's everyone doing what their comparative advantage has. If you want to be dry and econ about it, it is a modern meme, a stupid fixed idea that people have, an aesthetic image that's found appealing, not for its reality, but just for the idea of if it applies to you, is that career is something for you that's so wonderful. Men throughout history have not had careers. They've had jobs. Right. Is this dumb women's liberation movement thing where you take the top performers who are famous and have prestige in certain fields that aren't dangerous, that aren't brutal, that aren't brutalizing, where you can be well known, where you can be in charge of people, the most desirable idea of having the position, and they take that and they say, well, that's what all work and career is, and women have been denied this great good thing, and it's been a mean patriarchal thing where men have hoarded the wonder right. that is the benefits of a career, and therefore women's highest aspiration to feel good about themselves and live a good life is to try and do that. Uh-uh. That's not the way it's ever been. Coal miners have not been having careers that are fulfilling to self in this way. There's a culture to coal mining. It can, in fact, be a great and wonderful fraternal brotherhood to do. But it ain't what we're talking about when women want to be girl bossing it out there. That it's always gone to when people say, oh, well, what about women lawyers and doctors? That's yep. what people always like to say. Yep. Well, what about what would you say to a woman who wants to be a lawyer or doctor? Mm -hmm. Well, as a lawyer, I can tell you it's, it's a fine job, but... Being a lawyer ain't more important to me than being a father, being a Jew, being a husband, even being an American. I'd rather continue to do all those above things than be a lawyer because it's it's a job. I'll do right by my clients, but it's a job. Yep. I, could, I could have done many other things and I could do many other things should the necessity arise. Well, and is this what do you have to say about the vision of success and achievement oh, yeah. that you need to forget? Because I know from your perspective, it's going to be even different than from mine, which is mine as a woman and yours as a man. Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is for women, the thing that strikes me that they would need to forget is the, I always go back to this, this might be a dated reference because it's more 90s and early 2000s, but the sex in the city image of girl Boston, yes. maybe that's been replaced now by something else, but I view this as like one of the trope makers for it, which is the idea of Carrie Bradshaw writes for a magazine. So she has prestige and celebrity and she's in the city and she has all her shoes and she's felt so fashionable and desired by people. And she's so cool. Except the thing is, once you hit your 30s, late 30s, 40s with a lifestyle like that, the image of it is cool. But then the reality where that's all you do all day, forever, <laughs> for decades, this is the choice you've made horrible to live yeah. it's in the same way that the idea of being king is a lot cooler than the reality of being king yeah. if you're actually going to be a king people think king oh i'm a boss i have power i wield it 
The reality of being a king is, oh, palace coups, being deposed, needing to manage my children way too much because one could be heir, needing to manage everything for stress, ah, viziers, trying to steal, whatever it would be, just the stress of the actual position. What about this is desirable? Mm -hmm. It's in the same way that everyone wants to be a celebrity, but then the real celebrities with the stocking problems, not so appealing. What you have to forget what you know with regard to achievement here, basically in some, is that achievement as so many of us are raised with it and the culture surrounding us puts in our head is this idea of the appeal of your life to an outsider or to this um, accomplishment professional certification whatever obsessed culture and if this does not apply to you in your background great you probably have a form of this adapted to whatever is in your life that you're still struggling with or has been at least thrust upon you. There are a lot of different subcultures within this country, but whatever it is where prestige and money and being able to look like you have a desirable life is achievement, that is the nonsense you got to get rid of because the life that's worth living for you, not for the idea of how you're perceived, is going to be your family. It's going to be having time in your day to love your loved ones and spend time with them and also do the things you enjoy is going to be not having the stress of needing to keep up the perpetual grind to do these things. Really what I'm trying to say is the amount of work required to be impressive in this way and make that money is so much a negative in terms of what it takes to get there. I don't think that's a well-lived life. And so doing more with less is actually a well-achieved life. You're living for you. You're living for your loved ones. That's what's worth it. And the person who's willing to do this less fantastical sounding life is someone with the self-confidence to live for their sake and their loved one's sake and not for the sake of how they're perceived by others. That to me is actually more impressive and speaks to more character than someone who's willing to quote unquote grind and hustle their way to something hypothetically attractive to third parties they've never met. Yeah. I mean, I obviously agree with you in that I believe that success is holistic. And that's the big thing that people view success as some sort of ladder that they have to climb, starting with whatever education they have to step, step, step in their career. And I'm saying and you're saying success is a lot more than just that. It is everything together. If you can look at your life and say that one area is great and the rest is falling apart, that isn't success. Success has to be everything all at once. And that means that you need to make the most important things good and and uh, flourishing. Mm-hmm. And I'll say a uh, last uh, a coda to this and to the discussion about uh, relationships and who you're attracted to. A very important thing is to recognize the difference between what is desirable and what's actually worth having. The word desire, the way a lot of our culture uses it, it's kind of forgetting all that it is. It is only what you could want. It doesn't mean it's worth having. It doesn't mean it's actually rewarding. It just means that you have a hankering or an appetite for it. So pornography is desirable. Drugs can be desirable. A lot of shallow, ultimately destructive entertainments, promiscuous sex, desirable in terms of they stimulate desire for them. But once you're the dog that catches that car, can you do anything with it? Is it even good for you to have? No. In all the cases that I just mentioned, no. And so when it comes to the life that you pursue, achievement 
don't go for what's desirable, go for what's worth having. And it takes character to overcome desire for the sake of what is worth having. Yeah. So number three is forget what you know about finding yourself. Now, this is the Abigail one. Uh, When we were talking about the idea for this episode, I jumped out of the gate with a bunch of the thoughts I had about romantic partners and what you have to forget that you know there and with the achievement stuff. But then Abigail slammed back with the, you got to forget what you know about this romantic notion of finding yourself in self-expression. And so this is, this is hers. Well, it's very much (laughs) tied into the book that we just read for book club, which is the rise and triumph of the modern self, which we will continue to talk about frequently here on classically Abby, because it is so much part of what we believe Um, But the idea of expressive individualism, that you have to find your authentic self, that you have to go out to find yourself. You don't have to go anywhere to find yourself. You are who you are in the context of people that you love and that you trust. You are who you are in the context of your friends, your family, and your community. That is the definition of you. Who you are authentically on the inside, you don't need to go out to find who you are. That's just, it's just trash And honestly, what it does is it makes you doubt everything that really does make you you. And it makes you lonely and sad and anxious, trying to define yourself outside of the boundaries of who you really are, of what makes you what you really are. The people who who love you, you're a mother, you're a daughter, you're a wife, whatever you are, trying to define yourself outside of those things can only lead to confusion and to chaos internally, it's just not good for you. So finding finding yourself as a concept, garbage. You don't need to find yourself. Well, because, it's because you don't exist. This right. is something I say all the time. Ab- Abby will, um, she'll say her thoughts about how this notion of finding the true you that's entirely on your own terms for your own sake burning an idea of duty or obligation you have to others that would actually give you a sense of purpose and identity of, you know, I exist for this purpose, spurning all that so you can find yourself. Abigail will say her criticisms as she tells me about the videos she wants to make. And my reply is always, and what's even the most nonsense about this is that there's no you to find. There is no authentic, truest self that you're going to plumb the depths of your psyche and soul to discover Because there is no possible way you could even imagine what you are like without cultural influences, without your family and being raised the way you are with your parents and who's had an impact upon you. There is no originality to be found. There's no absolutely pure, authentic you that's not cribbing notes from something around. People don't work that way. The human mind does not work that way. Can you imagine at all what you would have been like if you were born into a third century CE German barbarian tribe on the Danube? (laughs) Does that sentence sound insane to you? Okay, 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 fine. What if you were born to a peasant's family in the Achaemenid Persian Empire? Can you imagine what you would be like? What would your opinion be on the role of uh, your gender in the workplace? What would your idea be of what you would want for life and what a good partner would look like? Well, it's just funny because the only way you can imagine it is if you time traveled to that time. But it's still you. You with all of your experiences that you have now. Yeah. Which is what what defines you. Ability to imagine what it is like to be other than what you are. And so the idea that you could find something authentic that would be you 
without all these influences, it's just a fool's errand. There's a philosophical essay I have cited to Abby many times, and she's even begun to use it conversationally as well. Uh, the essay is called What It Is Like to Be a Bat. And this essay, the premise is, we as human beings have literally no ability to even speak of the concept of what a bat's experience the world is like, because, well, they don't have our sight, they don't have our minds, they don't have our instinct, they don't have our bodies. So everything we'd use to describe what it is like to be a bat is just referring to human experience right. with modifications we've already had. You might just be familiar with this thinking idly in your own head of how do you describe red to a person who's been blind from birth? You literally lack the capacity to do it. Right. Well, what I'm talking about here is the same thing. Of, there's no authentic you to find absent the influences you have. What would you be like if the most major things that have shaped you into who you are didn't exist? <gasps> you can't do it. No, it's impossible. And the things that when people say, I need to go find myself, a lot of the time what they're trying to say is I need to find what what will quote unquote make me happy. On my own on terms. On your own terms. For my own sake without any obligation to other people. So basically, I got to find out how to properly be selfish. Right, exactly. And it's like, you know what? You can find out the things that you enjoy that don't make you shirk your duties. You can find things that work in tandem, things that you like to do and that bring you joy, but also you're still a good person because you still have the people around you and owe a responsibility to them. Owing responsibility to people is good. People don't understand that it actually brings you happiness to be needed and for others to, for you to be needed by people and for you to need other people. To be legitimately useful, because we're not talking Munchausen syndrome here, or whatever someone could try and uh, yeah, bad course. faith mischaracterize this argument as. We're talking about people like to have genuine purpose. Yeah. We like to be in harmony with a sense of, oh, you know, I was needed to exist in this way. I was doing something useful. What I was thinking of as Abby was speaking just now is this modern find yourself, eat, pray, love garbage culture. It's the jumped up adult infant version of Home Alone <laughs> when Macaulay Culkin's character wants his family to disappear and then they do. So he eats the candy. He plays his rock and roll music. He watches his movies and then he ends up with a sick stomach. He ends up very alone. He ends up vulnerable to threats out in the world because of the wet bandits, as they horrifically name themselves. <laughs> and at the end, he is oh so glad for his mom to be back home. That's honestly what the adult that version is, of Find Yourself that's is. That's really a very good description of it. Yeah. If you are a person who actually does have an issue with being able to set real boundaries and is in abusive relationships that do take advantage of you, yeah, you need to find a way to be sovereign and be in the right relationships. But that doesn't change the idea that the end state, life as it's supposed to be lived and would be good, is to be in new loving relationships. There's 100%. And I think exactly what you're saying is like, there's not, it's not to say that you can't work on yourself to improve. And I think that, you know, delving into the things in your past that have given you bad habits, for example, like that's not a bad thing. But finding yourself out of the context of your experiences, of your family, of your duties, that's not classic. It just isn't. Well, at the end of the day, the question is, what is this for? Is it for serving yourself and your sense of enjoyment and fun and desire and learning how to put you first, which is what it always sounds like to our ears, because the good version of this that someone could try and pitch to us would just be building character right. and then ending up being strong enough to have the relationships that matter. 
But that end stage would just be that your happily ever after is that you're in a series of loving relationships, you to spouse, you to child, you to parents, you to community, and you have purpose serving others and your entire community of people serve God essentially by being moral and upstanding and doing what you should. Whereas the find yourself language is this therapeutic self-focus, everything for you, for your own sake, own entertainment stuff. There's no duty there. Duty would just be if it makes you feel good, not you should do your duty regardless of your personal feelings about it in a given moment. Yep. And that's like kind of the fundamental accountability problem there. Yeah. So number three was just as a reminder to circle back was forget what you know about finding yourself. But mm-hmm. number four is forget what you think you know about science. Oh, yeah. So this one sounds funny to the ear, but bear with me for a moment, which is that if you want to live a classic lifestyle and you want to live a way that actually makes sense with human nature, and Abby and I are not saying this like some annoying guru-ish nonsense of we've cracked the code. No, we didn't crack the code. Man, as a race, has developed traditional modes of being mm-hmm. that over time, bit by bit, earned through a lot of suffering, the well-claimed territory of, we understand this is how people work, this is how you live well. Yeah. For us, that is the Bible, a biblical and then rabbinically developed lifestyle. But all the traditional ways of being, that stuff is going to crack the code on what it means to just live well. My issue with science and what you need to forget about it is that science, trademark, TM, registered copyright, whatever it is, is not actual science. It's in the same way that if someone got a doctorate in something, right, they just achieved high status of peer pressure and peer review and popularity in their field. So they have PH and D next to their name. All of their pronouncements on their field do not become fact. They are an alleged authority on it. If you have no reason to doubt them, then I guess for the time being, you might as well trust this person's word on whatever their subject matter is, I guess. But their words are not fact. But imagine if the person did try and claim, "Uh uh-uh, because I said it, it is a fact. Not because I said it, you can more reasonably rely on me because I've probably done the homework on it. It's the same thing with modern scientific institutions. The annoying thing about science people is that They treat their fields as the purest distillation of logic and reason and then ignore the part where everyone involved in the fields of the sciences are human and susceptible to economic incentives and pressures, internal politics in their field, cultures, moral panics, everything that goes mistakes, (laughs) ego, all the stuff that makes anything vulnerable. Yeah. Scientists, at least in terms of public health style scientists or medical profession, by and large, a lot of these people or dietitians, whatever it is, a lot of these fields that we're finding out have more and more overturned and bunk studies. These people are human who treat themselves like technocratic gods. And so they're not doing science. They're wielding the name of science. And so if you want to live a normal life, you've got to break free of the uh, kind of mental puppetry that is people wielding credentials and wielding the notion of expertise against you. Otherwise, you're just going to be bouncing from expert study to expert study that you never verify yourself. You just end up taking on faith as if you were a medieval peasant listening to some uh, priest just state things without you reading the Bible itself. And you're going to get led astray and made basically someone's mental swipe. It ain't good. Yeah, essentially, I think the point here is experts are not the people that we, we all kind of hear this in today's day and age. We hear people talk about how experts should be the ones in charge because they're the experts. 
Yes. Where they have the credentials. We assume they've done their research. We assume they're doing things with integrity. Boy, have you looked into it? Right, have you exactly. made sure? And so it's really important for us as humans, but especially as conservatives, because we do this with the media all the time, is to have a healthy level of skepticism. Not to say that you can't trust the science ever. Well, no, you're trusting the actual science. Trust the actual science. Don't trust the experts. Not all the time. Trust the actual science. Do a little research. Yes. Just, just do a little research because everything, everything in science is not always correct. At the time of writing 50 years ago, science was completely different than it is now. And so it's important for us to actually read a little bit and don't let yourself be cowed by people who call themselves experts. That's the one that gets me is that people will call themselves experts and the regular person doesn't want to do any work. So they just say, "Okay, I'm going to trust whoever says they're an expert and they're the guy who I should be listening to. And then maybe they shouldn't have listened to that person. I have a question for you, Abigail. What? Are eggs healthy for you or not healthy for you? When are you asking? Exactly. (laughs) I have a question for you. Is Freudian psychology accurate or not accurate? I have a question for you. Is attachment theory uh, parenting good or not good? I have a question for you. Does dietary cholesterol lead to higher body cholesterol and which kind? And is that actually responsible for heart disease? I have a question. (laughs) Like diet is the main thing to go with because diet is so, so full of nonsense that causes vast changes in our culture. And we find out 10 years after the most popular thing is Atkins. Oh, you need carbs for hormone health. We find out 50 or 60 years after we've been told that low fat diets are everything that you need. That turns out dietary fat is necessary for hormone health. And that also too many sugars in your diet are bad for you. I mean, even if you want to do something incredibly like recent and going on right now, we can just talk about COVID, how the yes. science has changed day to day. Is it six and feet? We're being to- yeah, exactly. Is it three feet? And we're being told by experts that they have to listen to them. And it's like, yeah, well, maybe I should do a little bit of research because it doesn't seem like you are. <laughs> and yeah. one other thing I'll say about this, especially I found is relevant with COVID, is that doctors are not experts. They're not scientists. Doctors read studies and do, or are just told the you know blanket statement, this is what we're all saying. And then they pass that on to their patients. And they don't always do their own research to actually give you an informed decision. And I've had that experience with a lot of my doctors. They build their lab coats. Exactly, where they're really pressuring me to do something that with my own research, I found was not a good fit for me. And because they were considering themselves experts, I was supposed to listen to them. But I had a healthy level of skepticism about certain things. And I'm grateful for that. Now, that's not to say that I don't trust doctors. I really, really love some of our doctors and I will listen to them in the situations where they do know more than I do. But if there's a situation where I'm a little bit skeptical, I might take a day before I immediately listen to what they were recommending. Yeah. Listen, saying trust science, don't trust science, that's ridiculous. Science, when well conducted in its lane, yes. is our best tool for what it can do. Yeah, thank when God When people for are using it outside of its lane, you're going to have a bad time because it's not doing what it can do in limited terms. When human beings conducting science are suspect and view themselves as above suspicion and wield the notion and reputation of science performed at its best as, well, of course, that's what I'm doing. And how dare you ever question me? Well, that's human corruption. 
and that's a bad thing. Doctors aren't good or bad. Individual doctors are good or bad mm -hmm. because individual doctors' performance of their job can help you more than anything in the world or kill you faster than anything in the world. You got to be your own best advocate. Now, as an attorney, I say this from the point of view, if you go on Twitter and you know anything about the law, a lot of the people with several hundred thousand followers on Twitter are some of the worst lawyers you <laughs> could ever imagine because their opinions are nonsense, are garbage, including a lot of people who are professors at schools, especially professors at schools because they don't practice law and everything they do is basically ruled by peer pressure and popularity because, well, peer review academic journals are trash if mm -hmm. the people who do are doing it are engaging with it in a trash illegitimate uh way that's not really about the authenticity of the opinions so my point here is you're your only best advocate you got to be on the ball with this stuff find people you can trust and defer to them when they're doing their job in the best way where you know you can rely on them but don't just trust a lab coat don't just trust a phd set of initials trust human beings who have earned it not yeah. institutions that have burned up their credibility because it's ridiculous so that was forget what you think you know about we'll say quote unquote science well the science about thus because that's the big thing the science because uh the big problem with people wielding credentials and wielding the science is that you got to ask yourself how would the way that they want me to rely on them be any different if a bad guy were doing this Right. We talk all the time. Well, we the media talk all the time about how fascism is coming to America or how all these bad totalitarian things are afoot. And it's pretty much all projections so that they can justify their own politics. But you got to ask yourself if a cynical, malicious person had managed to wear the white lab coat, how would they operate any differently? Right. They want you to trust them. They want to be unimpeachable. They want to be able to destroy the careers and livelihoods of anyone who disagrees with their consensus. They want kind of total control because you have to listen to them or else your opinions are legitimate. If a bad guy were doing what they were doing, it would look no different because it'd be achieving the same aims. That to me is like the little cut to the quick question on all of this. Yeah. So number five and our last tip for how to live a classic life kind of a, a fast tip, I guess, or forget what you know tip is forget what you think you know about fitting in. I talk about this on my channel sometimes, but basically I think that we have been, we all want to fit in. We don't want to be alone. And the way to fit in nowadays is to do everything that the left tells you to do. If you look on Twitter, if you look on social media, conservatism is not going to be the main thing you'll see. Honestly, it feels like the fringe nowadays. And if you want to fit in, you're going to feel like you need to lean left or you need to live in a way that is definitely not classic. Maybe be more like Megan the Stallion. Or, or Meghan Markle. Or Meghan Markle. Interchangeably trash. Rather than, yeah, exactly. <laughs> rather than. Uh, uh, to, to, sorry, to Meghan Markle's credit, she's married and has two children. So, yeah, but she only wants two children and doesn't want any more and says it's because of climate change. No, 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 no. She's awful and a leftist and an enemy of all that's good. But at least she's not Megan the Stallion, although yeah. maybe she's worse because she has more influence. So there's something to be said yeah, for they're that. They're both pretty uh, trash in different Meghan ways. Markle, Megan the Stallion, <laughs> throw them all in the garbage. Yeah, exactly. And so you're going to feel this pressure to fit in in your 
your personal life, in school, in work, by changing your opinions and changing the things that you think are important so that you do fit in. But throw that away, forget about that, and be true to the values that you know are good and moral and live the life that you know is going to bring you meaning and fulfillment and through that bring you joy because that is really much, much better. And what, and by the end of, and at the end of the day, the people that you're fitting in with when you do that are the people you'd rather have around you than the people you'd fit in with if you were leftist or living a way that just wasn't in line with being classic. All I have to say, and it was very well said, all I have to say on top of that from a practical note is every step you take to fit in, every piece of your soul you give up because you don't believe this stuff because it is garbage, it is harmful, but what you do to buy yourself some time or avoid scrutiny or a conflict, you do rot your soul by doing it. You will feel like you betray yourself. And every single time you give an inch in public on something that does matter, like uh, BLM's burning down cities, everyone's posting a black square to somehow support murdering innocent people in black neighborhoods while burning them down in the name of justice for black neighborhoods. You post a black square too so that you're not conspicuously not doing it, but you kind of know that you don't really believe this. You are selling a little piece of your soul and putting yourself one step closer to changing your mind on this to agree with your actions because people really don't like their actions not jiving with and lining up with your thoughts. And when something's got to give, it's usually our thoughts that give to justify our actions rather than having the bravery come out of nowhere to finally change our actions to line up with our thoughts. Yeah. So that's a very important thing to have in mind is don't let yourself do the little pressure releases in order to avoid the scrutiny or avoid the peer pressure in the negative sense of it, just to buy you a little time. You're not buying yourself time to be a hero. You're just basically mortgaging your own soul on that. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. So I'm going to read these again, this list, just to finish off this section. So number one is forget what you think you know about dating. Forget what you think you know about success and achievements. Forget what you think you know about finding yourself. Forget what you think you know about science or the science and forget what you think you know about fitting in. So that is the main portion of today's episode. I hope you guys learned something. I'd love to hear if you have something that you think we should, we should all forget what we think we know about. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that'd be fun. So feel free to share that down below. And now we're going to do our classic tip of the week. And it's a Jacob tip. It's a Jacob time. tip because yes, last week is. was an Abby tip. Yes, although not to lock us into alternating. No. <laughs> but my tip for this week is based upon the fact that last week I had my first bros board game night with the Jewish suburban dads in this community. <laughs> and this week I made sure to have a follow-up game night, even though on Shabbos, We still did board games with basically the exact same people. And even though later in this week, I'm doing a boys weekend full of board games with the boys (laughs) of great fame and infamy, the boys, I still made sure that during the week I had the uh, board game night happen in order that this whole endeavor of like a weekly or biweekly board game bros night have momentum. 
And this is the tip, is make sure that the things you do, especially with other people, if you want community, if you want a consistent group of people who do anything together, you have to keep the momentum up. It's you can't have a one-off, enjoy it, and have plans to make plans another time. You can't have a one-off, enjoy it, intend to do another one and have a date set for it, but then let everyone get wishy-washy on the follow-through and then have a rain check and then have it fall through. You got to be like how in um, the House of Representatives, there's a position, either political party called the whip, who is the person who makes sure that all the votes are together and that there's unity. You got to be the whip hand for your crew getting something together because otherwise things will fall apart. Everyone is distracted. Everyone's got their own stuff going on. It is not malice. It's not that much of a character flaw. Flakery is a character flaw, but it's not that much or unique of one, and you yourself are probably suffering it. I know I do too often, but if you want it to happen, you got to have the fundamental responsibility, and it's worth it if you do. So be the whip hand, keep the momentum up, keep on your front, and make it happen, and then everyone will take for granted that it's going to happen. You'll have your community, it'll be up and running, and you'll get to say, I get together with these people at this interval. We have a great time and you build things from there. And this is especially with new people in your life. You have the community you're willing to create. You cannot rely on someone else being the entrepreneur to do it. So if you're going to do it, this is your tip. I love it. I love that tip. I think it's so great. And I think that that's the hardest thing is, is getting a strong friend group and really making it stick. And I think that's exactly right. You got to be on top of it. So that is all I'm going to, I'm going to let you finish that off really. And I'd love to hear in the comments as well, if there's anything you guys want to hear on the podcast that you feel like we should address, just a, a topic you'd like us to talk about, leave it in the comments below. We love to hear your suggestions. So we'll see you in our next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.